listening to the EVs for Everyone podcast. My name is Elena Ciccatelli, an award-winning automotive executive, and I'm so excited to introduce you to some of the most dynamic thought leaders the EV economy has to offer. Listen in on honest conversations I have with the leading electric vehicle experts and uncover critical insights that will help you jump ahead and stay there. The electrification race is officially on, and these conversations have never been more important. So whether you're an automotive executive or just an EV enthusiast, this is the podcast for you. Let's get started. Glenn Mercer, thank you so, so much for your time. This is amazing. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Glad to be here. We'll get right into the good stuff here, which is your background. And I would love for just the couple of people, probably five people in the audience that do not know who you are because you are such a legend, but love for you to go through your background just a bit. Okay. Uh, Well, flattery will get you anywhere. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, I'm... uh... I, I sort of represent the axis of evil, as it were, because I worked for big oil, British Petroleum, uh, in um, mostly in gasoline retailing. And then uh, I've worked for the Central Intelligence Agency. So it's another uh, black mark. And then I was at McKinsey for 20 years, though so I'm uh, no longer I'm, I'm not under house arrest or indictment anyway. Um, and at McKinsey, I spent 15 of those 20 years as a specialized in automotive. And so when I um, left McKinsey in 2006, I've been on my own ever since. Um, with the confusing LLC name of GM Automotive, which means people think I'm a Chevrolet garage, but um, it's my cross to bear. Um, and uh, I just do, um, I've done quite a few uh, private equity board seats, some venture capital work, um, and automotive research in general. Uh, people call me a consultant, but I don't think I'm a consultant at this point, uh, because that involves a, a team of exhausted MBAs and empty pizza boxes at two in the morning. Uh, this is a solo adventure. Uh, I do research. And um, increasingly over time, as I've tried to cut back on hours, I'm 68, uh, focusing more on downstream auctions, aftermarket, uh, dealership channel, things like that. So clients would be someone like NADA itself. Uh, private equity firms, venture capital firms, investment firms in general. Excellent. Again, that this is why I wanted you on the show, just because of your insane wealth of knowledge. And I love the perspective that you bring to this EV conversation. So, um, and also too, I'm going to have in the show notes, Glenn's Substack, and everyone needs to go and subscribe to it and go check out what he's writing because it's really, really fantastic. Absolutely loved your Tesla article that you wrote. It laid out this argument of this uh, Tesla's radically simple products and what the benefit of this simplistic strategy is to the manufacturer. It has been a huge asset for Tesla. Now, some of it is emerging as a liability, and I'll talk about both. Um, uh, Certainly, the the community that watches Tesla, which is probably, you know, 100 million people uh, at one point or another, uh, has many theories as to why the company has done so well for so long. And if you're on the, the negative side, you say they're just mooching off government subsidies, which is true. I, I've always liked to say everything about Tesla that you can think of is true, uh, good and bad. Uh, so, so you have that view. You have the other view, which is, you know, changing the world, saving the planet, et cetera, et cetera, that it's, it's all about being green. In between, you have sort of it's a technology company um, and that you're buying a cell phone, on, a smartphone on wheels and then off into Dojo and things like that. And uh, so there's various various theories for why this succeeded, uh, including um, 
the inversion theory, I guess I'd call it, which is instead of working our way up from small, um, short-range city runabout EVs, which would be classically disruptive, classically under Clayton Christian's definition, disruption comes from low cost upward. Uh, Elon Musk flipped that and came from the, t- the high end downward, uh, not as far downward as he wants to get to eventually, but still uh, until now from the high end. Uh, and so it, it became sort of um, the pitch was you don't have to sacrifice to own an EV. It's going to be fast. It'll be luxurious and it'll have long range. And that just uncorked the market, of course. Uh, another another thesis is it's all about the um, supercharger network. Um, uh, people like to say Tesla doesn't advertise, but I actually count the investment and losses in supercharging as their biggest advertising uh, um, campaign. And it's been brilliant. And of course, we keep wondering why other OEMs haven't followed that. Uh, but among the many uh, theories out there, one other one I like to throw in is on the simplicity side which has about, been about 80% uh, positive and emerging now about 20% negative. And that is, I think, the real genius of Tesla's marketing is how many millions of cars they can sell that essentially are all the same car. Uh, the S and the X are bigger. And uh, as we know, the X is not really a financial success. And the S is now 12 years old, which is you know dinosaur years in um, car model time, especially at the... Uh, the premium end, but the three and the Y, uh, you know, from a hundred yards are kind of the same car with lots of changes, et cetera, et cetera. And aside here, so that the Tesla stands don't attack me as a hopefully hopelessly diesel belching ice enthusiast. I own two cars. One's a plug-in hybrid, one's a BEV. Okay. So give me a break. Um, on um, the simplicity part is uh, as I was talking to ex-Tesla executives about their direct-to-customer DTC strategy, a theme kept coming up, which was we couldn't do it without a highly simplified product line that uh, direct-to-customer really kind of implies very few choices, check the boxes, order the vehicle, and when it shows up, it's what you expected and everything's cool. Um, and uh, that when you proliferate options and proliferate models to say like a Mercedes level, you hit more customer demands. That is, I want the station wagon in green, I want the convertible in blue, et cetera. But you end up with an enormous sort of uh, human interaction processing burden as you go through screen after screen of options. I want the leather steering wheel, but not the leather wrapped gear shift knob, uh, uh, inventories balloon uh, as you ha- try to cover all these grounds, uh, uh, cover all these bases. And so um, it becomes sort of impossible to squeeze it through an Amazon-like which model, which wheels, which battery, which color, thank you, we're done, and it's on the way. And so um, uh, I think it's th- that has been enormously helpful for them in terms of getting the direct-to-customer uh, thing to work. Uh, and uh, I think it's one of the challenges of incumbent OEMs who've chosen a more proliferated product and option line to squeeze things through that. It also makes uh, Tesla able to do what I guess I would call pseudo BTO, uh, pseudo build to order. Um, people like to think that when they order their car from Tesla, somebody leaps to their feet in the factory and starts building the car. But overwhelmingly, you're buying from a batch that's already in process. And they can do that because, again, they've got very limited colors 
very limited options. So pretty much anything you order um, is already in the pipeline, which again makes manufacturing easier. This has echoes for those of you who are as ancient, uh, those of you uh, watching this who are as ancient as I am of Dell computer, uh, which used to uh, tell people, well, just build it exactly your way. But then they limited the number of motherboard and hard drive options such that uh, everything you could think of ordering, they are already making. And if you ordered something they weren't making a configuration for, they'd immediately come back and give you a discount on a configuration they were making. So it looked like you're getting a custom-made computer. You weren't. doesn't really matter that it was custom-made or not anyway. So that helped a lot for Tesla as well on, uh, on the production side. And again, marketing it is build to order. Where I mentioned the negatives that start to emerge was another blog post I, I mentioned, which is um, uh, when I was talking to somebody at NADA 2024 about this, they nicknamed it Thor's hammer problem. And the idea here is that if I've got, uh, if I'm Ford and I've got, I want to sell a hundred cars, the factory has produced a hundred, I've got to get rid of them and demand is for 90. How I get the other 10 sold is I tell my 30 or whatever dealers, um, I need to move 10 more this month. And dealers can, on this car, they might uh, provide more of a discount out of, their own, out of their own funds. Ford might provide some subvention on the financing. Uh, another dealer might allow an extra thousand on your trade-in to get the deal done. Another one might throw in free floor mats, whatever. And so um, uh, the dealership channel is very good at sort of sifting out into the marketplace vehicles that are maybe not fully in demand at that point in time. And as we've seen over the last year now with Tesla, when Tesla want, because of its radically simple approach, and it's direct to customer, here's the price on the website, no haggling, everybody pays the same, no competing store against store. Um, when it comes time to move those extra 10 cars, all you can do is cut price. Uh, you can't tell the individual store uh, clerk, um, throw another thousand on the hood. You can't, because then that breaks the whole image of everybody pays the same. You can't you know, throw in an extra option on the lot because don't have any options. Uh, and so what we saw is, and J.D. Power documented this pretty well, uh, Tesla cut its average selling price by over $25,000 between fall of 2022 and fall of 2023. And what that means is we go back to my 110 and 90 cars is to move the last 10, I had to discount all 100. Thor's hammer, as it were. The only I don't have a scalpel. I have to bludgeon all the prices down that collapse their margins. Uh, it ruined resale value and it, you know, drove Hertz crazy. And all these ripples through are the downside of radically simple pricing in this case. So uh, we'll see how it shakes out. But again, over time, it has been, um, I would say, at least 80% of a benefit to Tesla. Um, I think where the 20% now is this pricing problem and I think as we're starting to see in California, uh, a narrow product line does have its downsides. As in, you know, I bought a Model 3, I loved it. The Model Y came out, that was even better. Now, where do I go? 
Right. No, exactly. And that brings me to a really interesting question of the announcement that just came out about Fisker and VinFast utilizing the dealer network, right? Right. And so pivoting from Tesla over to Fisker and VinFast, your hot take on their decision to effectively not use the direct-to-consumer model and use the dealer network instead, what's your hot take on that? Right. Uh, first of all, a preface. Uh, in America, we seem to be caught up in the sports model. Uh, every football game or basketball game, somebody wins and somebody loses. And the trouble is, in the real world, a lot of times it's sort of 80-20, 60-40, horses for courses, et cetera, et cetera. You know? So it's like, yeah, jet airplanes came in and wiped out most propeller airplanes, but there's still a market for propeller airplanes. So I think one of the challenges here in discussing channels whether it's agencies, such as we see in Europe, the dealer channel that's just dominant in the United States, or for Rivian, Lucid, and Tesla, and others, the direct-to-customer channel, we have the fans lining up saying, direct-to-customer, good, dealers, bad, or dealers, good, DTC, bad. Uh, Each one of them has its own skills, advantages, costs, and values. And by the way, as long as you have demand greater than supply, you can do whatever the heck you want. Ferrari could auction cars, drop them from blimps, you know, put them in vending machines. It doesn't matter. People are lined up for it. Right. Where where the channel decisions become more difficult is when you're a mass marketer. Uh, And maybe Fisker and VinFast aren't there yet, but looking towards getting there. um, uh, Now we have the problem of cars that have to be sold as well as just bought. Ferraris are bought. Ferrari does not have to advertise. Um, nor Lamborghini. Uh, so, uh, but the rest of us do. And even Tesla, as you know, now advertises. Um, my son was in Japan. One of my sons was in Japan a few weeks ago, and there were Tesla ads all over Haneda Airport, for example. Um, I was in Iceland and saw, believe it or not, a Tesla billboard, which is about as analog as you can get for a digital company. Anyway, um, so, uh, so I just want to make that point that uh, if I say anything in favorable of dealers, it doesn't mean I think directed customers is bad. Or if I say something favorable of DTC, it doesn't mean I think all dealers should be shot. Okay. So right. <laughs> uh, what, what's going on there is part of the answer is in the name of VinFast, fast. Uh, and um, uh, as you know, anybody who looks at the company, um, I think he's the wealthiest uh, person in Vietnam. I think it's the largest corporation in Vietnam. I think they sell everything you could possibly buy in Vietnam converted the old GM plant and now looking for world domination in cars, some of which maybe are not quite ready for prime time. But fast is the word uh, I want to emphasize here. And I think uh, a huge reason VinFast pivoted is um, this is a particular advantage to a pre-existing dealer network is its speed. So if I want to do direct to customer, fine, that's a good idea. Why not? But now to do that, I... I send out people to look for real estate. Then I find builders. I I get the architect fired up. Uh, I get uh, American building codes figured out. I build the store. Two years have gone by. In California, probably four. And I've got this thing built now, et cetera. Now I need a second one and a third one. And I'm going to do it state by state. And the rules, not just the franchise uh, rules that quote unquote, protect dealers, but the way you title vehicles and DMVs and everything varies state by state. So I think VinFast sort of 
hit the beach running in California. And then rapidly, when you run on a beach, you know, you bog down in the sand. And I think for them, it's all about speed. And if they want to make a mark very quickly, maybe getting ahead of any Chinese EV manufacturers that come here, they said, we just can't go this one by one store thing. Uh, let's see who's around who's experienced in vehicle sales, who has pre-existing physical facilities, parts to, you know, bingo, sign up, you know. It's dealers. Uh, so I think it really was for speed in this case, speed and local knowledge that then helps you go fast. Um, one question I've always had, I've been asking at random, randomly for 20 years is why nobody goes to a CarMax and just why not sign up with them? Uh, but anyway, I, okay. yeah, I similar. They're yeah. There. Very similar question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So that was, I think on VinFast, uh, Henrik Fisker in the wall street journal, uh, I think, uh, kind of hinted at it. We didn't say it explicitly. I would think there it was as much cost as speed. Certainly Fisker wants to ramp up, um, nowhere near as fast as VinFast, which is running on as far as I can tell free capital. Um, so speed's part of it, certainly, but cost. Um, they're a small company. Uh, let's just say, I think it is, without being unfair to them, um, their odds of their survival are, you know, mixed at best. And uh, one thing about switching to dealers is you get paid for the car as soon as you sell it to the dealer. Right. So when you've got 5,000 unsold Fiskers hanging around, call them... Uh, Call them $30,000 a car. I'm just making that number up. So what's the uh, multiplication there? It's $150 million of inventory? Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Think, so part of it was just like, get them off our books. Right. Somebody else floated. And then um, and then I think, um, as he hinted at also in the Wall Street Journal article, uh, he said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, so you should read his actual quote, but I don't think I'm distorting what he said. This is a lot of work doing this, and we can either do all this work, titling and blah, 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 taking trade-ins, figuring out local financing, or I could just hand a dealer a margin and say, you go do it. Exactly. So, this is an amazing conversation, Glenn. We could be talking about this literally all day. I am I am just like in awe of all of the great information that you're just downloading on us. I love it. I love this, it. This is a very perceptive person here. You can really tell. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's that's my jam. Well, Glenn, we're going to have to have you back on the show because I love your okay. insights. I love everything that you're doing. You and I sort of electronically connected through uh, SpaceX uh, EV conference, the presentation I gave there online, I chopped up into three pieces and have posted the first two on the uh, Substack and the third piece I'll try to get done today. Perfect. So, um, It'll be there. More stuff. Okay. Excellent. Glenn, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. 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 Thank you so much for listening to the EVs for Everyone podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review with a comment. We read every single comment, so thank you in advance. If you have an idea for an upcoming episode or you would like to be a guest on the show, go to EVs, the number four, everyone.com slash contact. That's EVs, the number four, everyone.com slash contact. Until next time, keep charging forward. Word.